some really engaging panelists um, that um, that have agreed to join us and kind of share with us some of the things that they need from us. And so just as a reminder with the norms, um, there are a lot of people on here. So um, please raise your hand if you would like to contribute to the conversation and you'll be unmuted um, by a moderator. Um, and then please remute yourself when you're finished speaking. Um, the session is being recorded, um, the audio for um, the Research in Health and Physical Education podcast. Um, please understand that there are many people in this meeting and you may not get the opportunity to speak. So please engage with the chat feature um, as appropriate. Um, we want to make sure that everyone is respectful of ideas and opinions shared during the meeting. Always assume positive intent. Um, we're definitely in this together. And we also just want to remind everyone to bear in mind the sense of community that we have striven to develop through the Peak Collaborative. And we hope to be able to discuss all topics including problems and challenges, which are gonna be brought to us today um, through the lens of opportunity and growth. So with that, I will pass it over to Emily. Thank you, Jamie. And thanks for everyone who's taken uh, your time this afternoon to join us. It's uh, midterm for many of us at, in higher education at different institutions, and it gets to be really wild and crazy. So. Um, we've taken a bit of a different approach. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Dr. Emily Jones. I'm at Illinois State University, and Kason O'Neill is my co-host or co-moderator for our session today. He's at East Tennessee State University. Um, as the Peak Collaborative uh, team has talked about different topics, um, one of the things that continues to come up is um, our service to our K-12 partners, our teachers, the administrators, the children and their families that, that we uh, serve through training future teachers. And there's been so many things across the last uh, several seasons that have caused changes to occur in our K-12 schools. And uh, for those of us who are out supervising student teachers or perhaps work with pre-service teachers or do community or civic engaged research, we get a sense of what's happening in our schools. Um, but we're not there day to day. And while we uh, want to serve and train future teachers to meet the needs of current students and their families, um, we need to better understand what's going on in our schools. And we also have uh, some obligation to those teachers who are currently out in the field to teaching as in-service teachers and professionals. Um, so we've asked a panel Partners from different segments of our country, different parts, segments of our PE system, if you would, um, uh, department chairs and veteran physical education teachers, um, principals, um, community college partners, and partners who divide, design professional development for health and physical education teachers at a state level. And we've built this time together as an active listening session to hear from our partners what's going on in the field, um, things that our, our um, in-service practitioners maybe need, how things have perhaps changed, and hopefully identify ways that we as higher education faculty and partners can be better partners. Um, so what we're gonna do today, uh, some logistics are the same but different if you've joined us in other meetings. The same in that we're going to hear voices and perspectives that perhaps might challenge us. Um, different in that we might find um, we're going to give our panelists all uh, the, the floor 
and they'll share about their perspectives, their backgrounds, um, and identify um, maybe some wish list items that they wish higher education faculty might find ways to better serve in these ways. Um, and when you engage, um, if questions come up, we'd challenge you to um, pose those questions or clarifiers in the chat. Um, perhaps, so our first panelist is going to be uh, Mr. Taylor Scott, Mr. Scott Taylor. And so when he's sharing his perspective, perhaps in the chat, if you would put his name first and then your question, um, because then it'll sort of catalog. So once he's done providing his perspective, he can review those and maybe prepare some response or remark um, at the end of our time together today. Um, and so we'll move along our, our four members of our panel um, and then have a, have a broad Q&A and conversation at the end to dive into some of the questions um, and ideas that they've brought to the table. Okay. So we're so glad that you're here. I'm gonna hand it over to Kaysen. He's gonna introduce our panelists one at a time. Again, we're so glad you're here and please remember to use that uh, chat uh, feature to um, uh, seek clarification or perhaps bring ideas of things that you're doing at your institution that could meet the needs of, of these folks uh, um, in our team. Kaysen. Yes, thank you, Emily. Uh, this is Case O'Neill, uh, ETSU, and I'm excited for today. So first up, we're going to, I'm going to do a short introduction. I have Scott Taylor, principal. He is at Parkbrook Elementary in Minneapolis, and he also was a program that was highlighted um, through Shape America for their emphasis and dedication to fitness. Um, so we brought him on, and I would like um, Scott, you can kind of come on and tell us your kind of your background and relation to Pete and uh, how can how can we better serve your general principal community? Great. Well, thank you for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I'm at principal of Park Brook Elementary uh, in Minneapolis or just outside of Minneapolis. I did just a little background. I received my bachelor's degree from Northern Arizona University in social studies or history to be a social studies teacher. And then my master's degree from St. Cloud State and then my administration license from St. Mary's University. I never um, set off to be a school that had a focus on fitness initiative, but it sort of uh, evolved. This is my seven, 17th year as a principal, 15th year here at Park Brook. Um, I moved to Park Brook and we went through some uh, significant budget reductions in this district. I was at the school with the highest socioeconomic uh, status in the district. And when I found out that I was moving to Park Brook, I thought I am never going to enjoy education again, not because of the school or the population, but this school had a reputation. Um, and it was a school that was out of control um, the teachers greeted me with that. Once I'm here, I would see what was happening. Um, there had been 55 suspensions in a school of 360 the year before I was here. It was out of control. AYP list for low academic growth. And I thought, I'm going to change this school. I'm not going to be in a school that's, I, I'm going to have the same standards as I did at the other school. Right now, we do have about 90% poverty here, about 30% of our students are 
um, on the continuum of learning English, and about 85% of our students are um, Black, Indigenous, um, Asian descent, uh, people of color. Um, but we did some workshops and we went to some trainings. One of them had to do with, was with Eric Jensen. And I also, we've read books by Dr. John Ratty, Arady, and also Dr. O'Neill, and learned quite a bit about fitness and how fitness relates so much to education, um, academic growth. And one of the things that I always say is that there is a huge difference between fitness and physical education because fitness is about that movement and we do a lot of that here at Park Brook, but physical education teachers are teaching standards. And I think we have to be very careful because I believe that um, hopefully this would be a value to you as well. I think principals and administrators, there's that notion, not myself, but I think as in generally speaking, that physical education is one of those things that we can get rid of in budget cuts. It's sort of an add-on, but I have a completely different view of that. Um, if you come to my school, if you were to walk through here, you'd see that almost everyone is sitting on a stability ball so that they're using their core muscles during instruction. We have before and after school programs. In just a few minutes, probably the bell will be going off and we will have 20 girls and girls on the run and 60 some students staying after for a cardio drumming class. Um, it's not uncommon every day that we have these things taking place. We also do a lot of weekend events. And one of the things that I've decided is I would much rather spend a few hours on a Saturday than have the office filled with kids that I'm dealing with behaviors. Uh, we have gone a number of years without any suspensions whatsoever. Not that behaviors are perfect, but we have been able to change it through our fitness and also our academic growth. Um, one of the things that I guess uh, when I think about our school, we do quite a bit of different types of before and after school activities with our fitness. Mentioned the cardio drumming. We start off with a boot camp. We take kids to run the Twin Cities 5K. We also have a double Dutch team that travels with the American Heart Association. And our student planners, we have conferences going on right now. And the teachers talk about having a goal for reading, for math, and then also fitness goals as well that students need to articulate in their planners. That's for the third through fifth graders because we want students to taking ownership of that. Um, so when I look at how do I support physical education teachers, you know, I really have to look more at how do I support all of my teachers and the FIA teacher that I have here now, I guess here in Minnesota, we call it Phi Ed. I grew up in San Diego, we called it PE, Minnesota, it's Phi Ed. Um, I bring me a FIA teacher around to see that they are, it's not just physical education that they're teaching. It's not just simply that they have the gym and they are teaching the standards that they teach, but that they have that power and that ability to influence the entire school. And I would, um, I don't, I guess one of the things that I'm not seeing or perhaps as much as I think would be very beneficial for the physical education realm is to have 
the students study and see and the difference in academic growth when you increase that fitness and also the uh, behavioral changes that take place as well. Um, that we can do a lot of talking about being and talking about data and PLCs and collaboration. And if we tweak our lessons in certain ways, but there is so much that can happen through the realm of physical education, which has changed our school. Um, our site plan um, here at Parkbrook, every school in my district, and I'm not sure if every district, but we have a site plan every year of what are we going to do to change our school? Uh, we have fitness as one of our goals, especially when it comes to behaviors and also with math and reading, the correlation. Good afternoon, Wolves. I am really sorry about this. The following students may be dismissed. That's just part of being in the school. Yes. This is reality, that's right. Yes. You know, the nice thing about today, my secretary and I were talking about this. Dismissal is not too much of an issue because we have so many kids staying after school for activities. So the front's real nice today. Um, the bell will probably go off in about five minutes here. Um, but we do have those goals. And I just, I think that for a physical education teacher coming out, if they can articulate how they play a role beyond physical education, um, how they play a role in changing the course of a school and actually the lives of each student in the school. So I really support my teachers in this and I believe my teachers are definitely on board with our focus on fitness that we do here at Park Brook. Um, one of the questions that, well, I put it in the postings that we are physical focus on fitness school. And I ask questions regarding that when I'm interviewing. Um, when we're doing special education evaluations, I do require the special education team to include the fitness levels of our students. Um, not that we would qualify or not qualify, but we wanna call out for the parents to see that there is such a strong correlation my school psychologist that we have here, he loves data and loves working with the numbers. I find myself more of an implementer. He loves all that research. And he did uh, look at our scores and he analyzed them with all sorts of things. And in many schools, you can determine the outcome based upon race. And what he found here was that it was fitness levels um, that we were able to change what what you would expect for students here based upon the fitness. And it was most pronounced in, in special education. Um, and I also look at when I'm looking at a school that if I'm thinking about equity, a uh, school with 90% poverty. And to be honest, I've never felt scared or nervous being out in here. Even I leave here late at night by myself in this community, I don't feel that but I know that there's some issues that have taken place and families are concerned about having their kids out at parks, especially in our uh, couple of our apartment complexes. So kids are staying in, but I look at the equity issues of how can we contribute to the health of our students because our parents are working and I don't have parents that are not working. Um, some of them might have jobs that are not getting them out of that poverty level. 
Uh, but I can also understand when their kids go home, they want them in the apartment, staying in the apartment. And how can we work to help uh, provide safe places for them? I also think that for physical education, um, one of the things that I would say is that we have to make sure we're not thinking just about those athletes or creating athletes or the sports, but making sure that we're thinking about individual, every individual, every student, and perhaps the students that have not found a place um, to be athletics, or they're not driven towards that, or, but how do we create those opportunities for every student to be active and for that healthy lifestyle that we want for each one of them and to help open up opportunities. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, if you, it seems like your prog program, like if you were to talk to a Pete program, like a lot of us on here and maybe not your sp school specifically, but a school like yours, what could we do to better on our end of things to better to even make your program better? Well, I think it would be teaching or uh, providing those opportunities um, for, I think for the FIA teachers coming out or PE teachers coming out to be able to articulate their role in changing academic growth. Because I think even as a school system, when people will talk about, oh yeah, you don't have behaviors at your school, you don't have this, you've got strong growth. It still is not accepted that it's through our fitness that we are doing this. So if we could help uh, the FIA teachers be stronger in articulating that, I think that would help. Because I don't think all teachers see that or see make the connection of what happens to the brain when you're moving. Um, comes to, yep, getting the, you know, running the kids, getting some of the wiggles out, getting the extra energy out. But there's so much more that occurs that I think would be very helpful. And some of the other things that we have done is connecting with um, community programs. Here we connect with the organization that leads the Twin Cities Marathon. We also have an outdoor, uh, it's called the Lopet Foundation, and they have a lot of outdoor activities and we connect with them for our cross country skiing and cross country events. So helping um, incoming FIA teachers or PE teachers see those opportunities in the community and give them skills for reaching out to and connecting with some of the community organizations. Yeah. I we, we used to do an overnight trip, but now we do uh, canoeing, mountain biking here close by. Mr. Taylor, we're gonna. This is amazing, and folks, I want to invite everyone if you've got additional comments or things that you want um, to be clarified about Park Brook uh, there in Minnesota and some of the really active school initiatives that they have going on. Um, drop those in the chat. Now, um, some of the things that uh, have been described are very comprehensive school physical activity or whole of school approaches, reaching out into your community. Uh, Mr. Taylor, you've got um, 
PE teachers who are stranding across, or you would like to see better strong connection to our academic or classroom teachers. And, and I think uh, this group of folks who are on this call and others across the country are really moving uh, uh, and working towards that direction. So um, we're gonna shift a little bit, but Mr. Taylor, stay on the call and folks drop into the chat questions or clarifiers that you might have. Uh, we're going to move um, to a community college setting. Uh, John Strong is going to give us an overview. He's a program coordinator. I'm going to get his title right. Uh, program coordinator of physical education studies and the personal training certificate at Niagara County Community College. And again, we're looking to listen and hear the things that, um, you know, how we can be better partners as your um, from your perspective and, and how students might be transferring to teacher cert programs across the country. So John, you're on. Hey, thank you. Um, appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to share the insights uh, that I've come across in the approximately 17 years that I've been at Niagara County Community College. Uh, just want to do a, to, to your point earlier, mic check. Uh, thumbs up, hearing me okay? Okay, fantastic, thank you. Um, so I won't take too much time uh, relating to myself. Um, I know some of you in different capacities from Shape America and other professional uh, spaces. And so it's great to see you. The, I, I, I guess I'd say the bigger pieces that I wanted to discuss today had to do A, primarily with the eight-factor domain, and B, actually interestingly enough to, to Scott's later point, uh, to the connection with the community, um, kind of that, uh, that CSPAT piece. So to begin with, uh, with regards to the effective domain, we are in the realm of physical education, in my opinion, uh, uniquely positioned to deal with not just what was happening pre-pandemic, um, but, but most germanely post-pandemic, the social emotional learning pieces that, in my opinion, have to become uh, some of the largest and most impactful pieces of what we do in the K-12 space, um, uh, some people might say are, are, are lacking. While we most assuredly have uh, in New York State we have our six state standards that reflect the five national standards uh, identically, the, the sixth standard having to do um, with community pieces, community resources that I'll, that I'll talk about uh, momentarily. Certainly we have, we have standard four in that space and, 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 and TPSR uh, in that space. Um, and, and, and certainly it comes into the, the, the baseline uh, pieces that, that absolutely we look at at the two-year level and and I know uh, some of my colleagues that are on the call uh, look at in their four-year spaces but but so often I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's, it's paid lip service but so often it, it's put on the back burner I was I was really touched by the new direction that the st national standards uh, pointed toward in what was shared with the public uh, over the summer. Um, the, the, the fact that so little of it, interestingly enough, 
was uh, in the psychomotor realm, got a lot of pushback. And, and, and I, was, I, was, I was energized by that. I, I wasn't just energized by the fact uh, that, that, that that was happening. I was, I was energized by the fact that people were immediately uh, taken to it to say, well, wait a minute, this is, this is who you know, Phys Ed is. And in my mind, I was saying, well, that's who Phys Ed was. And who Phys Ed is and could be, maybe should be something different. Obviously, you know, folks would, would, would identify that that Castle has the market uh, cornered on social emotional learning. But I would say that physical education has the market cornered on the effective domain. Where else in the K through 12 setting are they intentionally looking at spaces within their curriculum that is written within their curriculum that deal with the whole child? I would challenge you to say nowhere. Because physical education has the ability to make those connections, we can literally be uh, leaders of every single school that we are a part of, kindergarten through 12th grade. And so what I would really love to see in the higher ed space, and, and I'll tell you honestly that I perpetuate this practice in my own space, is an intentionality when it comes to pressing uh, the effective domain to the forefront of what we do and who and what we are to the, the benefit of not only our discipline and our practice, but to the benefit of all the students that we come into contact with and potentially all of uh, the nation's schools at large. So that's, that's, that's point number one. And there, is, and there is absolutely data to support that. Um, there is, there is uh, you know, 2018-2019 uh, data from the CDC that identifies um, where students were in terms of substance abuse and alcohol uh, disorder, illicit drug use, and how those numbers have grown. There is um, data that was taken um, just uh, once the, the pre-pandemic had gotten going in 2021 that identified uh, a third or 37% of high school students reporting uh, experience in poor mental health. 44% um, of, of, of folks uh, persistently feeling sad or hopelessness. Um, there's data to support it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not just pulling, pulling it out of thin air, uh, so to speak. Um, and I, I really do think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Um, and I'll be happy to take, take certain things off of the, uh, the chat. So point number two, the ability uh, for four-year institutions to be community partners and, and proud New York State uh, academician. I can say that in our space, uh, standard six recognizes the intentionality of collaborating with community resources so that uh, students leaving um, the high school space can be prepared to utilize their, their physical machine uh, for the rest of their for the rest of their lives, it's it, it's great that we have you know psychomotor effective and cognitive spaces, but with regard to physical literacy, um, the culminating piece, the endpoint, uh, has to integrate into the community, and therefore um, standardizing that integration become becomes really necessary, and that's that's why it's one of the standards here in New York State. So to that end, uh, I challenge 
all four-year institutions to look at their surrounding communities and become a champion in those spaces, become hosts to what most, if not all, uh, districts host as professional development when um, practitioners kindergarten through 12th grade uh, go to the building PD and learn about uh, folks or, or pieces that reflect um, really the things that, that they're not going to be affected by too much. I think it's a waste of time, quite frankly. And, and I've got enough practitioner friends that tell me the exact same thing, and I'm sure many of you do as well. And I, I believe that if, if, if we are community partners in those spaces, um, obviously, you know, it'd be nice if, if some money changed hands, but maybe it doesn't have to. It can be, see, it can be seen as a service uh, to, our, to our community partners. If, if every place of, of higher education were to be an incubator for that level of thought, then we would draw new ideologies related to best practice in the physical education realm. And those individuals who had previously uh, maybe weren't making the best choices related to quote unquote busy, happy, good uh, could be hipped into these better choices that we're sending our future professionals into uh, for student teaching, for observations, and they come back and they say, yeah, they're not doing anything that we do in our, in, in our four walls. And, and, and that's because the collaboration isn't there. Now, I see that my time is short, uh, so I'll leave it at that, and I'll, and I'll answer more online uh, if you'd like to send me a chat. Uh, but those are my thoughts related to that subject matter. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, John. I think that's, I think the community college perspective and your thoughts on the the way Pete can involve themselves in the community partnership specifically, I know you made two points, but that's the one I, I think that's been discussed many times on here. Um, so thank you so much. If you have questions, we're going to circle back. I want to introduce, uh, we have a state level individual here. I want to introduce Heather Pierre. She is the physical education and physical activity coordinator for the state of Tennessee. And being a Tennessee guy myself, I have worked with Heather and, she is an excellent advocate for our field. And I would like, uh, Heather, just introduce yourself and um, kind of tell us your perspective on how Pete could help from a state level pers uh, perspective. Thank you, Kason. Thanks everyone for having me. Um, and I really appreciate hearing that because when you come to the state, you have to bring your passion, but leave the advocacy to everybody else. So it's nice to hear that it still comes through. Um, so uh, my name is Heather Piergis, as Kaysen said, I am the PEPA coordinator. Um, and I appreciate the distinction that Scott was making earlier, knowing that there is a difference. That's quite a big part of my role is making sure that there is a clear distinction between what physical education is and physical activity and the importance of both uh, for all students. So. Just a quick, quick um, intro about my background. I have taught all grades K through 12, um, health and physical education. When you include the undergrad, is the way to get all, all grades. Um, I started in Pennsylvania with my undergrad, so I, I taught there. I'm originally from New Jersey. If you can't tell by the speed of my speech, I am not a native Tennessean, uh, and I've been in Tennessee for seven years now, and uh, absolutely absolutely love it. Um, comprehensive health education is also quite a bit of my background and is one of my personal passions, so I, I hang on to that. Uh, I have an educational background in exercise science, 
obviously my content specialties, you know, health and PE and educational leadership. And all of that has really contributed to how uh, I work in my role now as the state coordinator. Um, I've been in this role with the Tennessee Department of Ed for four years, and I'm honored to be a part of our collective coordinated school health efforts in Tennessee. Um, we use the language coordinated school health, knowing that it is the WISC model, um, but it's written in state law as CSH, and, and that's the way that we maintain. So if I say coordinated school health, I mean WISC and, and all back and forth. So. Um, my role is very much involved in connecting teachers, schools, and districts, you know, all of those levels with best practices, resources, and understanding the meaning and application of legislation that we have in place for both physical education and physical activity, uh, what those requirements are and how do we meet the needs of all students? I get all the crazy questions like, you know, how do I get my endorsement? How, do, how can I renew my license? Professional development is a, a big role of mine. I try and provide what I can um, where we see gaps and, and listening to the field and where we hear that there is a need. And that's where I find that my role very much connects with my colleagues in PEAT programs is that I am a essentially a team of one. I'm the only content specialist at the state, and I'm sure it is that way with, for many other states, there's probably just one person. Um, you have people that you work with, maybe with your state association, or, you know, some friends that might be able to help you with Department of Health or other state agencies, but it's essentially me, myself, and I, so I, I can only manage so much PD. There's only so many resources that I could find, and so I rely very heavily on my colleagues in the field very much um, the PEAT area to be able to accomplish all that. Um, as far as new or emerging areas um, that teachers and schools need today, from what I see with my experience with teachers and getting feedback from all of our stakeholders, uh, there's a many multiple data processes that we do. We get feedback from teachers in the field throughout the state, principals, um, district level administrators, and all those perspectives help to fuel um, what I do to connect for professional development and providing those pieces of guidance and finding resources. Um, but a big area of need that I see, regardless of the amount of experience the teachers have, is supporting mental health um, in the gym and in that environment, as well as having a comprehensive understanding, very much like what John was just saying, having a comprehensive understanding of how our standards, our physical education standards, support the social and emotional development of children. I mean, we were whole child before whole child was a thing, right? Um, but the teachers in the field don't have a full understanding of that. And I don't think that um, they also have an understanding of how much weight the classroom environment in particular, and I'm stepping outside of instruction here, how much weight the classroom environment can have on instruction when we're talking about supporting the whole child, but that includes setting and maintaining certain expectations, building and developing relationships, um, and possibly the most important in creating an academic environment as a part of that culture to establish that culture of learning and respect. Uh, and I see that as a value for both students and all school staff. Um, I did my undergrad at East Strasburg University, and uh, I had a professor, Dr. Carolyn Kaczynski. She is no longer there, but um, she would tell us uh, all the stories of when she wanted to save the world. 
you know, one student at a time through her physical education class and would, when she saw on a classroom teacher's schedule, especially in elementary schools, they write the schedule on the board. If she saw a gym, she would go into the room and change it, you know, to physical education. And it's, that was obviously a bit much. Uh, We might get in trouble for barging into someone's room right now, but it's about maintaining that culture that this is a respected academic subject. Gym is the room, not not what it is that we're learning. Um, so that had a really big impact on me. Um, and I maintain that language with my students. You know, we say physical education. I had to correct my husband once or twice and he never made that mistake again. Um, also, I think that teachers need a better knowledge of how their work contributes to well-rounded outcomes as the keystone um, of CSPAP. John mentioned that as well, but it is at the top for a reason right? You take that one piece out and it all collapses. And not just CSPAP, but throughout the WISC model itself. Um, I really think that this could help educators advocate for their programs uh, and helps to maintain that positive culture around physical education and physical activity. Um, It was a pleasure to hear Scott since he started. He obviously has something in his mindset about the importance there. And it came to him at some point, maybe he stumbled across it. I'm not sure if I caught that in your story, I'm sorry, but it made me reflect that the experience of many of my physical educators in the field that they have with their administration and colleagues in general has a really big deal to do with the philosophy of the administrators um, and the philosophy of the school. If there is a deliberate mindset about it being important, then it is valued. If there is no deliberate mindset, then it's your job to change it. Um, And that has to do with the way that you speak with each other. Um, It's important not to be defensive, I think, in my role. And I I get a lot of the the complaining and the venting and, you know, how do I get through to my principal and how do we do that? So um, it it may be helpful to consider how we talk to different stakeholders. Uh, I mean, for me, stakeholders is a norm thing, but when I was in the classroom, you're used to just, you know, with your students, sometimes parents, and, and the teachers, um, but you have that relationship very much with students, but I, I think that teachers could, could really do well with a little bit of practice, you know, maybe having some role play conversations with, uh, I, I know it's, it's so very cliche, but the elevator pitch, you know, um, and we're only in the elevator for this long and you're not allowed to look at your phone. You actually have to talk to the person next to you. So uh, consider someone that you don't normally interact with and just, you know, advocate for, you know, why what you do with with your kids is important and um, always be prepared to, uh, you know, best offense is a, uh, what is it? Best offense is a good defense. Is that how it goes? Thank you. Yeah. So you've got to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I rock uh, because, because this is why, you know, because I get to, to work with literally most cases, every kid in the building, you know, who gets to say that it's so fun. It's so amazing. The potential for such a great impact. Um, but you can have that impact can be so much more exponential when that team that supports you has your back. Um, so that's really important to me. Um, let's see, better meet the needs of teachers and schools today for peak programs. Um, I think that connecting with professionals in the field is a must. And I'm thinking about that from a, like a pre-service teacher perspective. I think it is so valuable for the pre-service teachers that y'all are working with now should be as often as possible connecting with teachers in the field. 
get in and watch a class, get in and talk to them on a prep before, after school, whenever they can connect. Um, state convention is an easy opportunity for that, but maybe you can't physically get there, um, I, but it is an opportunity. I did have an opportunity also in my undergrad to actually go to state convention and do a session with my professor. It was an amazing experience. I'm not sure if she asked me because uh, I know she did it on a regular basis, uh, but she brought a few extra teachers the year that I went because she happened to be eight months pregnant at the time and really just needed some extra help. But uh, it was a really wonderful experience to be able to present a session at my state convention before I even had my own class of students. And I was teaching teachers, you know, and I, I it was quick. It was high stakes and the adrenaline was rushing, but it was over before I knew it. Um, and it was a really great experience. And I really appreciated getting the feedback from the other teachers in the room. And then you can connect with people and find out where they're at and have those conversations. And I think that that connection is really important. The other side of that is that when possible, I think higher ed institutions are, in my opinion, the best sources for possible professional development to districts. Um, when they have opportunities for in-service days. I know that you all have your own classes to teach, um, you know, and holidays that you want to take and all the extra work that comes with um, being educators. But I think that you all are the most current in pedagogy and resources. And quite often through my experience, virtual high fives or my Tennessee folks on the screen, uh, the highest in enthusiasm for our profession. And I think that there's a good number of our teachers in the field who could use a little jolt of that enthusiasm back into their lives. Um, so if you have opportunities to connect with local schools or um, you know, find a way to, to get something out there, if you could provide it, or if you can bring your students in on it you know, as a project and have them develop something to actually deliver PD to teachers in the field, um, I think you could do really great things. Heather, your insights, yes. your insights are awesome. And I, uh, I don't mean to cut you off here, no, but one good. of the, okay. One of the things that I'm hearing you say, and it's actually threaded across several others so far is um, this idea of, of beginning teachers or in-service teachers needing some skills on building community and establishing a climate and a culture that is focusing on common um, themes or, you know, whether it's fitness or uh, social and emotional learning and well-being, or whether it has to do with respect and um, kind of that, that climate and culture for uh, learning. And so it's like these skills needed to build that community in their own classrooms, in their schools, and then also in their community. And there's, there's some skills that there's some Think growth that is required to feel confident in doing that, especially as beginning teachers. Perhaps we give them lots of opportunities to do that in their classroom, but are we giving them opportunities to, to look at other partners in their school building and then beyond their school building in their communities and beyond too? So I think that's something to really take away from um, of what you shared. So thanks so much. Please remember to put comments in the chat for our panelists or clarifications or high fives. I love that virtual high five, Heather, thank you. We've got one more uh, great perspective to hear, Mr. Courtney White. 
Uh, I've had the wonderful pleasure of meeting Courtney. He serves on the Higher Education Committee for IAFERD um, uh, with us, with some of us who are actually on this call. Courtney is the Department Chair for PE Health and Driver's Ed at Downers Grove North High School in Downers Grove, Illinois. And uh, Courtney has not only teaching experience, but administrative uh, responsibilities and roles in his school. Courtney, I'm going to turn the table over to you. Thank you. Turn the mic on myself there. Appreciate that, Emily. Um, as Emily stated, I am Courtney White. I am the department chair at Downtown North High School. We're about uh, 20 miles west of Chicago uh, in the Chicago suburbs, for those of you that aren't familiar with the area. Um, and this is my 12th year at Downtown Grove North High School, my 27th year overall uh, in education. And my career spans three different high schools, um, three different buildings all high schools. So my experience is, is, is strictly with the high school level. However, I did student teach with the middle schools and that's how I realized I needed to be in the high school. I couldn't do the middle school kids. That was, that was a little rough for me. Um, so I completed my undergraduate degree at Northern Illinois University, um, about an hour and a half west of Chicago. Uh, and having graduated in December, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, get a job in January. I know it's not necessarily the, the norm, but I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. It was part-time, but I was able to get a full-time job that following fall uh, and start my career. Uh, so that's kind of where things started clicking in my head about, about curriculum um, and content. Uh, during the first few years, uh, my intention was to go into athletics administration. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, but then I realized the program that I started in needed a lot of work. Um, and so I spent the next few years of my beginning of my career uh, developing the program at my initial school. And this was around the time, this was uh, mid, late 90s. And the new PE, for those of you that are that were around enough, uh, long enough to know what the new PE was about, um, you know, we started rolling, started changing our focus of our curriculum to fitness and fitness development uh, and away from sport and activity uh, in general activity. Uh, so I spent the next seven years or so uh, basically leading and helping to update the curriculum uh, in my school. However, I wasn't necessarily in a leadership position. Uh, and that made it difficult to make some of the bigger changes and systemic changes within that building that I wanted to make. So that kind of forced me to have to say, you know, what? I think I'm going to leave this school and look for a, a leadership position, uh, department chair position. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that in my in my ninth year, tenth year uh, of teaching. So I did leave and I got my first department chair job. So over the 27 years uh, of my career, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to host a number of student teachers. Uh, both myself, who I worked with uh, uh, directly, and also having some of my teachers on my staff work with them, uh, mostly from around the state of Illinois, but some from, from out of state. Um, I recall back on my student teaching experience, and it was helpful, but it wasn't transformational by any means. And the reason I say that is because the feedback that I was given, and no disrespect to my student teachers at the time, they're a product of their environment, right? They're a product of their time of our profession. I wasn't given a whole lot of feedback about my instructional practices. Uh, or my planning, for that matter. Uh, the majority of the feedback that I received uh, from my corporate teachers was about, hey, you know, just get them moving, right? Make it fun, let them play, type of thing. Uh, which in 1996 or 1995, whatever it was, that was what they did. Um, now, getting kids moving is critical. Don't get me wrong. I uh, don't want to don't want to diminish that. Uh, but what I was missing was how do you do that well, right? How do you understand? How do you how do you get across the students uh, to the why of what we're doing? 
Um, so this is why I make sure now, whenever I have a student teacher that comes into our program, I make sure that they get ample opportunities to instruct and deliver content. Uh, and most importantly, get feedback on their instructional practice. At no point in time do I expect them to be, do, do well at it, right? That's why they're student teaching. Um, but I do expect them to be able to grow over time with the feedback that I give them and the feedback that their cooperating teacher uh, gives them. And so then I work with their supervisors, say, here's where they're short, here's where they're doing well. Um, one thing I have noticed uh, that student teachers are prepared in planning lessons. That's, they're good, they're, they're good with that. I think the, the um, universities, college of universities are doing a good job of prepping the students for that um, and linking them towards learning targets. I think they understand how to do that. I think what is shocking to them is the actual, at least at the high school level, is the amount of responsibility that's placed on a teacher outside of the instructional part of it, of the job. Uh, locker room supervision, right? We let the kids out to get dressed. We got a few months left before the bell rings. We got a hold in the hall before they scatter throughout the hall. Those types of things are missing in the actual experience of what it means to be a physical educator. Um, also, not necessarily understanding that, hey, you know what? That's great if you set your class up uh, and it's all set and ready to go for the students to come in. But you know what? You got a class right after this in a totally other part of the building. You got to take that down and set it back up over there. Those are the types of things that I think coming into student teaching that would greatly help them understand that the reality of the job is a little bit different than maybe the kind of guy that we want to try and teach them. There's nothing to be excited about in the profession. But on the same note, there are so many other things that are going to be put on your plate that you don't necessarily have a, you don't have any control over. You just got to get it done. So coming in to be prepared, knowing that you might have three classes in a row with three separate preps. How are you going to plan that? How are you going to motivate that? How are you going to get the students to the locations? How are you going to get yourself prepared for class? Those sorts of things I would love to see students either have an idea about when they're planning um, before they get to before they get to me before they get to us uh, and and we're telling them. Um, so this is not a negative, right? It's just something that we can't necessarily duplicate without actually doing the job. And I'd like to see students coming in with the idea and understanding that okay, yes, when I'm in the classroom, I got that part. I think the teacher programs are doing a great job there. It's what's happening in between classes. I think is the shocking piece. Um, there's been opportunities where I've had to take a class away from a teacher, a student teacher, because they were overwhelmed. Right? I've had to take uh, their opportunity to volunteer coach away because they were overwhelmed because there just is not a lot, of, a lot of time during the school day to get done what you need to get done. Um, another area uh, that I'd like for student teachers to come in with an idea is that the job is more than just instruction itself, but it's about making positive relationships with students. And I, I've heard uh, a couple of the uh, the panelists speak about it as well. Uh, folks in the effective domain, uh, John Strong spoke about that, right? Um, that's an area I stress with myself, my, my staff. I have a, a staff of, of pretty veteran teachers, mostly are eight years or more, eight years of experience or more. Um, is we gotta make positive relationships with our kids, with our students, first and foremost. We don't begin a new semester without doing relationship building activities. We don't initiate moderate to vigorous activity without developing relationships first. Um, assessments without building relationships first. The SEL needs of the student is priority over anything else that we can teach them. Uh, I, I wanna see the student teachers coming in with this priority, right? With this idea of building relationships with students because that's gonna be the critical element of being able to get across the content in the curriculum. Uh, if, if they can't get that part across, then I don't think the kids are really gonna grasp what they're trying to teach anyway. 
right? If they're not feeling okay, if they're not feeling comfortable, if they're not feeling safe in classroom, they're not gonna really take what you're trying to get across. So if you can't build those relationships, then we're gonna struggle as being an instructor, in my opinion. Now, if you can understand where your kids are coming from, if you can understand what their interests are, if, you, if they can trust you, uh, you'll be able to make a difference in, in their lives. And that's what they're gonna remember when they do leave your class. I, building relationships is sometimes is more of a gift than it is a skill that can be developed, right? Um, but I think colleges and universities could definitely stress the importance of, this is a, a really important tool to have in your toolbox, right? Uh, the tricky part is, right, how do you talk how do you talk uh, instructor or talking to a, a class as an instructor when some of the students are like five to seven years older than you or younger than you? Um, I think we've all been there, those, those of us are educators. Um, how do you build those relationships? I, I get it, it's difficult, um, but it's so important and critical to their learning and development. I do a lot of unofficial surveys of students, um, and students in my school uh, regarding how they like their respective PE classes. And one thing that constantly sticks out uh, is that their relationship or lack thereof uh, with their instructor is driving their success in that course, driving how much they care about that course, what they're getting out of that course, right? They say, oh, I don't really care for my teacher that much. Then they're not going into class, they're not engaging, they're not getting themselves engaged in, in the activity of learning as much as they could because they probably don't feel safe or they don't feel uh, valued in that class by that teacher. And, I, and I've shared that with my teachers. Um, so, I get it. You're not going to you're not going to connect with every single student, but if they feel safe in that environment, I pretty much guarantee you you're going to have a lot of success for from majority of the kids that are on your your caseload. So with that said, I think the relationship between uh, higher education or peak programs and and schools where they're sending their students needs to be strengthened and or developed. Uh, I don't have an answer to this, and I think uh, Heather spoke to it already, but a lot of the professional development that we get within our building is led by our administrators, which is great. And very few of them are physical educators, right? So some of the stuff that they're having the instructors do doesn't necessarily apply directly to the, the area that we teach. So I think the, the, the colleges and universities have a unique area here to fill in. And as Heather stated, you know, you guys have your own workload too. It's very difficult for you to get to all these, all these schools, but to get that direct education or direct uh, best practice from those who are doing the actual research would be huge for my staff specifically, but also for all, all the educators out there, uh, because it's gonna be able to take what we've learned in our PD and apply it directly in the classroom the next day or possibly the next period. Um, that's the part I think we're missing. I think there's a natural fit there, at least in my area, there are a number of colleges and universities that are within an hour's drive. Right? It would definitely be uh, helpful for us um, I know that's not the case for a lot of the schools in, around the country, but that's the part where I think we could tie our relationships a little bit tighter um, and have the universities coming out and doing those, those staff development pieces within, within the schools or have the schools come out, come out to them. So um, it is 3.56 and I know we are we have time for questions, stuff like that. That's me. Um, I'm, I'll hit me in the chat, whatever the case may be. I'll try and respond back to you. Uh, you can also reach me at Downers Grove North High School via email. I, sit on email most of the day. So thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Excuse me, Courtney. That was amazing. I think your perspective is one that we need to hear, especially regarding PD. And actually, that's the question I'm going to raise uh, really to the four of you, because it was brought up a couple times in the chat is what PDs either the either the four of you feel like are working 
I know one of the questions to Heather was, you know, how do you select PDs? Um, one asked Scott about what PDs work or, you know, so I'll kind of open up to the four of you that I'll lead the questions here is what PDs are you looking for or have done that have worked or your teachers are asking for? So really any of the four of you. To, to kick it off since there was a question specifically to me. Um, we have a, an, an annual fall survey. Um, we've been doing this in Tennessee since 2016. Uh, we call it the Quality Physical Education Survey. It was developed at the time in collaboration with the American Heart Association, and we've expanded and added a few questions since then. So now we're at like a 40-question list that includes mostly demographics, but also uh, multiple program quality components. Um, so I do an annual analysis of the data that comes through. We're actually in the facilitation literally right now. Uh, it closes next week. So part of that analysis includes, you know, are we seeing uh, gaps or shortcomings or are there opportunities for improvement where, you know, we're really looking at best practices. So we have teachers reporting on um, the average proportion of their time that students are spent spending in moderate to vigorous physical activity. Um, do they have enough space to safely have all of their students move, um, at various things. But then there is actually one question specifically on professional development that I ask, and uh, we provide like 10 to 12 topics, and they can check the boxes and say, you know, these would help my program the most. Um, and part of that analysis goes through to say, what are the top topics that um, educators are requesting based on grades that they serve? And so we're looking at differences for secondary levels versus elementary levels. And then that's where we either connect them with those resources if they already exist, or I kind of shift the focus of my work and say, oh my goodness, there is a huge need for adaptive physical education. What do we have on that? You know, and then kind of hit the road and that becomes the year's worth of work to be able to, to meet that specific need. Other than that, um, we have a website called Active Students, Active Learners. And uh, when I have people reach out to me and say, you know, I need PD, we need hours, or can you come? And I'm already committed to go somewhere else. I send them in the direction of that website and I collect anything and everything I see, including, um, you know, opens uh, the online, the, they have the virtual teacher options. Um, so many things go for all the things that are there. Um, and we just try and say, you know, these are options for you to, to get some instant things that are relevant to your content area. And then I try and follow up with them afterwards. But that's how we, that's how I identify what our specific state level needs are. Thank you so much, uh, John. Thanks, and I'll leave my hand up there. Um, I appreciate it. The, the, the idea that everyone is aware of the PD that they need is a great idea. And a, an engaged, thoughtful, um, introspective uh, faculty unit will absolutely um, jump into that space. Uh, and, and Heather, I love that idea of, of uh, accessing their, 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 their wish list, if you will, uh, directly it makes a ton of sense. However, there are also uh, explicitly districts that I'm well aware of um, that are in spaces where the folks are not that engaged. And because they're not that engaged, the PD that they need is not necessarily the PD that they want. 
And so the ability to bring to those folks and uh, in, in updating and upgrading uh, in spaces that, that are going to make them better, ultimately, going to make them more student-centered, going to make them more uh, focused on the, 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 the ways that get away from the 50-year-old busy, happy, good model. Um, those are things that, that we're going to have to uh, introduce in bite-sized pieces that allow for uh, those districts and those faculty members to bit by bit get more contemporarily uh, synchronized, my opinion. Scott, do you have anything to share? Yes, I could. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think about BD for, I guess I would divide into different areas. Um, what I'm thinking, what I would say is important for the, for PD for physical education teachers, um, so they could be better advocates at the district level um, for the physical education realm. I think that there's, they need to be able to articulate uh, much better that connection to the entire school with uh, brain research. And when I say reading and math connections, I don't mean how to bring reading and math strategies into Phi Ed, but rather how their work contributes to fight to reading and math growth. Um, that they can also be able to articulate to the teachers what they are doing. It's not just that they are taking the kids for a half hour so the teachers have a prep time, they are taking the students to teach them and being able to articulate that. Um, if I was to think about professional development for principals, I also think that's very important. Um, I don't think most principals understand that. There are a few um, and most superintendents don't because it is an area that is very quickly looked at as where can we make some budget reductions, but yet we really need to be thinking about the importance there. Uh, for so I would say that uh, for physical education, we have, I provide training here at the building on physical education um, or movement for my whole staff and I have brought in others. And I think that our FIA teachers looked at as a part of the community, not just a space, but part of the whole community. Uh, so I think it depends on which group we are targeting. Um, but for FIED teachers, they need the strategies, but they also need to be able to advocate better for the program. Um, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in a school district that does a really good job of professional development for uh, instructors overall. Uh, but some of those instructions, some of those uh, professional development ideas don't necessarily lend themselves directly to, to PE, but the instructional piece, it, it does help. Um, one area that I think would, would have helped us, we use a Charlotte Danielson uh, teacher evaluation model. Um, and those of you that are familiar with it, I mean, it's, it, it's not very PE specific, if you will. It's not very, it's specific to the classroom, but not to, not to PE. Um, so what we had to do, uh, myself and our, our sister school on the other side of town, had to kind of go through the, the, the rubric and kind of figure out, right, what does this look like in PE? 
right? What are the look fors when you're looking in domain, domain one, domain two, et cetera? Uh, how does that look in a PE setting or in a gym setting versus a classroom setting? And so we had to really kind of dig into the, the, um, the wording of it and figure out what does it look like within our area because our area is not traditional, if you will. Um, so professional development in that realm, and I don't know how much you guys get into that in the college university level, uh, and bring it back to the K-12 area and say, here's how it could look like in a K-5 setting. Here's how it could look like in a middle school setting. Here's how it could look like in a 9-12 through or high school setting would be uh, incredible PD for, for teachers. So now they can start wrapping around their instruction based on the Danison framework that they're going to be getting evaluated on uh, coming from actual professionals that have done some research and data on that. Courtney, that's really that's a really interesting perspective is when we're sending teachers out to schools as beginning teachers, what are some of the formative evaluation tools that are going to be used and what are they going to need to be mindful of as they're working with their administrators and their colleagues um, during those kind of induction years? How can it be sure that it's um, lining up with discipline specific terminology that they're familiar with? Um, We've got a few more minutes here and the chat is, uh, I think we're kind of, now that we've been listening and um, seeing some of these connections thread across our panelists, uh, continue to uh, build in that chat, but I'm gonna kind of do something. Ah, Heather has a, a comment, which is good. Um, that's gonna be good. Um, if you have other questions that you want to sort of raise your hand and ask the panel um, after Heather shares her insights here, um, we can do that and I've got, um, one other um, perspective to share before we kind of transition to close here. So Heather, go ahead. Sure, thank you. Uh, I thought it might help you get ready for the next part to transition anyway. I, I had one more thing actually pop into my head regarding a wish list because Kaysen mentioned at the very beginning that you know maybe PEAT programs feel like they're in a bubble, uh, but that doesn't always end when teachers get into their school. They may feel like they're in a bubble also and that, that trend kind of perpetuates and I saw Kim Ballard was on, and I know she might be somewhere else right now, but I happen to be reading my organization and administration of physical education text not too long ago and came across um, an excerpt that was in there from an interview with her. And she said from an anonymous source, uh, you know, make friends. What helped her most in this role, the role that I'm actually in now in Tennessee, is to make friends uh, before you need them. And that has helped me immensely with PEAT programs. So if y'all can do what we've done um, in your state, we have a common mission. You all are teacher prep uh, and I am teacher maintenance. So connect with your state lead, um, the whole group um, throughout the state, all of your PEAT programs. I don't know who all of our leads are, but I, I feel like I know most of them. But that has been so successful for me to meet needs for our teachers. We've collaborated on our current standards revision. Um, we developed, um, Courtney mentioned the, uh, the Charlotte Danielson model. It's been used to design our, our Tennessee level uh, document, but we developed in collaboration with some uh, PEAT professionals, a PE specific guidance document to go with that so they can put the language together. Um, student growth portfolios, and we're even having current conversations regarding possibly making changes to the tests that our teachers need, you know, to get their PE endorsement on our license. So I wouldn't be able to do it without being able to connect um, with my PEAT colleagues. Um, so it's been something that's very successful for me. So it's not a wish list for me, but I'm recommending that you add it to yours. Heather, you made a really interesting distinction. Just want to 
let that soak in a little bit. You mentioned that our teacher and faculty here are teacher prep and folks like yourself and others in your role are teacher maintenance. And it's interesting that you say that because in some ways, like, um, you know, it's quite an unfortunate uh, concept to be investing in these young people and these future teachers in the intense level that we are in higher ed in the three or four years that we have them and then send them off and never interact with them again, um, right? Like, I don't know if that's best practice to ship them off and then change hands. And besides a, a once in a while, you're an alum and you get reached out to for different components, but rather would there be a way to be more systematic or strategic about tying into and continuing to support in-service teachers um, and, and, and perhaps have the handoff be meaningful, but not to hand off and, and be a prep versus maintenance, but a, a prep and continue to develop across a career. And I think that there might be some interesting conversations to be had around that area. Um, we had one more panelist who wasn't able to join us, but it links to that concept. And his name is Dr. Kyle Ilg. He's the superintendent of schools at Attica Central School District in New York State. And one of the areas that he provided in kind of a narrative that lines up perfectly with Heather, it wasn't planned, that last statement, um, is an area where he sees the largest amount of challenge is um, employee wellness, staff wellness. And so I'm just going to sort of read this, uh, what he's provided here. He said, um, since moving into the role of administration and with schools coming out of pandemic, one area that continues to concern me as superintendent is that of employee wellness. With rising costs of healthcare and shortage of professionals going into education, I'm seeing the effects on my staff, both mentally and physically. He writes, one area I think higher education can better support local districts and educators who are entering the field is providing strategies to work on employee wellness and staff well-being. Too often I've had communications with current educators and new educators that they don't feel confident in providing programming to their peers and they lack the knowledge on how to best implement programs related to staff wellness and well-being um, in their school wellness policies. He just says, I think it would be a great discussion item that perhaps people are already working towards, but it might be something that other districts are also facing. So um, that ties in with um, you know, prep versus maintenance and pre-service versus in-service. And the type of obligation that we have to our teachers and our professionals um, who are living and working in schools that look and feel very different than they did uh, pre-pandemic. And um, so, I wonder if that might be a place where we can continue to have healthy conversations with one another about supporting our teachers uh, in our schools. We're getting to a point where we're gonna sort of close out a bit here. And um, I wanna thank our panelists who've joined us. And I hope this isn't um, the last time or last conversation we get to have with uh, folks across our PE system and our colleagues across the PE programs. Um, that we have in. And um, so thank you so much for your time and uh, contributions, panelists. If you would, panelists, if you don't mind to share, maybe in the chat, put your contact information so that if there are others 
um, who might uh, didn't get their questions answered uh, in the chat because of time, uh, maybe they can follow up with you. And um, would one of our collaborative members please put John Strong's well, maybe we should ask him. Could we ask John if he would be willing to and then um, include John's contact in there? Um, and then we've just got a few uh, closing announcements and um, Risto Martinin is going to do that for us. Yep, so um, as we're kind of closing up, I'm gonna put in um, a couple announcements from uh, different faculty members around. Um, the first one is the Mike Metzler Distinguished Lecture. Um, that is going to be held October 28th. It is live streamed and in person if you are um, in that area, but you have to register ahead of time for that. Uh, the second one was an open call for uh, a special issue and uh, the links there. Uh, the third one is the Shape America Student Leadership Network. Um, there is a flyer that I'll add as an attachment, but that is the information. So. Um, hopefully we can get some, um, if you have Pete students in there. Um, and then finally, uh, as we close up here, the next um, session we'll have is November 10th. Um, the topic, so the third topic of our semester is about how doctoral Pete programs are addressing the needs of higher education institutions. And you'll see kind of our, our prompts that we're going to be thinking about and so we'll uh, send a reminder of that and again if your colleagues are not getting um, the emails uh, they might be going to their spam um, but also uh, you can forward the invitation to them when you get it um, and so that's all I have uh, typically we we stop recording at this point and then um, we have